0: Welcome to Real Life, the program that talks about the life of real estate in the Hamptons and beyond. The people, the places, and the things that are the pulse and heartbeat of real estate, with your host, Broker Associate of Sotheby's International Realty, John Christopher.
1: Welcome back to Real Life, and this is your host, John Christopher. And today I have with me Paul Lays, who is the co-owner of Gustav White in Newport, Rhode Island. Hey, Paul, how are you today?
2: Good, John. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing great. Now that I'm talking with you, we had a little uh, uh, difficulties in the beginning, but we're all set to go.
2: Yes, I almost blew you off your headphones there when we got connected. Sorry
1: about that. That's quite all right. At least I'm awake now, right? So before we talk about Newport, Rhode Island uh, real estate, I always like to ask about uh, backgrounds. So let me ask you, how did you get into real estate?
2: Well, that's that's an interesting story because unlike many others who've gotten into real estate, I, I didn't it wasn't something that I always knew I was going to do. You know, you meet a lot of people and they say, oh, I've always loved houses and I've always loved people and this would be a perfect thing. I actually was, a long time ago, back in the 80s, mid 80s, I was a Peace Corps volunteer. I was living in Ghana in West Africa and I came home from, two years of living in a mud hut in, in, in Africa and, and wondered what the heck was I going to do with my life. So I, I had many things open to me. I come from a rather large family here in a small town of Newport, and I had lots of offers. My best friend was a car dealer, and I really didn't want to go work for my best friend. And um, another guy wanted me to, to be a stockbroker, promised me I'd make tons of money. And I had a couple of friends who were selling real estate, And I was chatting with them one time and I mentioned it to my dad and he said, well, you know, if you're thinking about real estate, you've got to go see Jerry Dwyer. Jerry Dwyer was the gentleman who owned the company that I presently owned, who owned Gustav White uh, Sotheby's back in the 80s. So I did. I went to go. Talk to Jerry to pick his brain, to ask him about the business and what he thought. And one thing led to another. I, I didn't even go there looking for a job, but one thing led to another. And, and he said, listen, when you pass the test, let me know. I got a desk waiting for you. That was in April of 88. And here I am now, thirty-four years later, broker owner of Gustav White, you know, here in Newport. So, awesome. and Jerry, Jerry was my mentor. He took me under his his wing and gave me a lot of the, the listings that no one else in the office wanted to take because, you know, they they weren't good enough for them. I took anything and everything he threw at me. And uh, so I was very happy, one, to listen to my father's advice and two, to, to meet and talk to Jerry and have him offer me a position here. And I say the rest is rest is history. <laughs>
1: well, so uh, just to digress for a second, so was he a
2: mentor or did you have other mentors in your life? Well, Jerry definitely was the, my my real estate mentor, and in, in the beginning of real estate too, I was surprised to find out that I I consider I have several other mentors who were competitors of mine, if you will. There were other you know broker owners or listing agents in in the Newport market who were from other companies, but they would reach out and really encourage me to call them if I ever had questions. I mean, Dave McCauley and John Sylvia come to name as two guys in my market who own the Prudential, uh, Franchise back then, and uh, and Bruce Allen was a Remax broker. So guys like that, and and Jenny Cole was my teacher when I took the pre licensing course, and and those agents, you know, Newport is a small little group that, that we uh, sell real estate in, and even though we compete with each other, we have to cooperate with each other on a daily basis, and and several of those people I consider my my mentors, uh, besides my dad and my you know my mom and dad and my and Jerry Dwyer who I mentioned. Right. So. Was there anything any piece
1: of advice that you from before that you still employ today that you use piece of uh, advice that i that i give to people no piece of advice that you got from one of your mentors
2: Whether there was yeah i i think one of the, the biggest pieces of advice i i got in real estate was get the listing <laughs> you know, get get the listing. You know, if you're a listing agent, you know you you don't even have to find the buyer. Someone else can find the buyer for you and bring the buyer to you. But get the listing and service your client as best you can on the listing side of things, and, and things will fall in place. And, and I I have I mean I I've, I've been listing and selling, and I work with buyers and and sellers for, forever. But if you had to ask me one or the other, I, I would probably tell you that I'm more of a listing agent than a buyer's broker, right? advice years and years ago to get get the listing <laughs> you know it's
1: interesting because I had a real estate mentor also who uh, said you know percentage wise always get listings more so than having buyers yes and he, and he was so right, you know and he's he's successful today um he br- branched off and he has he's with Cole banker, so it's it's interesting how you know we pick up things along the way. Let me ask you another question since um you're the owner of uh, one of the leading brokerages in Newport. How did that happen, and when did it happen?
2: Well, I, I officially became the owner in January of 2000, right at the beginning of the millennium. But as I told you, I, I've been here since since uh, 1988, the spring of 1988. So I started here as a as an agent and under under the tutelage of Jerry Dwyer. But uh, soon I I got my broker's license as quickly as I could because You know, shortly into this, a year, a year and a half into this, I knew it was something that I really enjoyed doing and and I wanted to keep at. So I got my broker's license right away, which and and I kind of had I knew Jerry was getting on in years and thinking about retirement. I was thinking maybe I could talk to to him about purchasing the company. And he brought in a manager to manage the company in in 1994 or something like that. And her, her name is Chris West, who's a close, close friend of mine, but also my, my business partner. I'm a 50-50 owner of this company. and Chris is my my business partner and has been since 2000. And it just kind of evolved. We were both here then when Jerry was getting ready to retire. And uh, we, we negotiated a deal back then in 2000. And, and I, I think I probably myself one of the very few realtors in this area or maybe in the country that for 33 years has been in the same company uh, since day one. You know, I haven't wow. jumped around at all. There's a lot of a lot of agents who who would go from one place to another over the years, but I, I haven't haven't had to do that and I'm thankful for it.
1: Excellent. Excellent. Um how many
2: offices do you have and where are they? Really just two. We're relatively, speaking, a small company. Newport is our headquarters. We're right smack dab in, in downtown Newport on Bellevue Avenue. Bellevue Avenue is the is the noted street here in Newport that has the breakers and the marble house and the elms, all the big fancy mansions that uh, the tourists come and, and visit Newport to see. We're not down in that neck of Bellevue Avenue, but we're up and up closer to the uh, Redwood Library is another iconic building here that a lot of people are aware. Of. We're right across the street from the Redwood Library and next to the Viking Hotel, which are two two buildings that people might be aware of on Bellevue Avenue. And then recently, we we opened up a small uh, small annex office in Tiverton in the Tiverton Little Compton area. There's a beautiful little uh, section of Tiverton called Four Corners, which uh, mm-hmm. listeners might be with and it's a nice little antique uh, antique corner and you can get a there's a great coffee shop there and everything else but we have a small office there and we service the Tiverton little compton market uh with that office but and, and and i over the years we we started we i had an office in providence uh years ago and also down in westerly in the watch hill area and you know when 2008 happened <laughs> changed a lot of my thinking and i think we closed down a couple of those and uh, and I'm I'm happy having my one main office here in Newport, and we cover the whole the entire Newport County market, but we do stretch into uh, coastal areas of up and down Rhode Island, into Connecticut, and into Massachusetts as well.
1: Wow! So um, when when you mentioned Little Compton, it's ironic. Uh, years ago, I had looked uh, into Little Compton as a, a place to uh, to buy, and this before moving to uh, the Hamptons here. But uh, at the time, it was so charming. This is about maybe
2: 25 years ago. Uh, how is it today, Little Compton? And has it changed much? I don't think you would. You, you can drive in there today, and you'd probably say it hasn't changed much at all. It wow. really a great job of of protecting their open spaces and uh, preserving uh, land and open spaces. And I don't, you know, I've I've been born and raised here, been going to Little Compton ever since I was a kid, and. Boy, there haven't been met much, many changes at all. I, certainly, there's new houses there and there's bigger houses out on the, on the water in the point. But for the most part, they've done a great job of really keeping their rustic character and, and uh, the small town feel of both Tiverton and Little Compton. Wow. That's great. Yeah, I think you'd be that's surprised. Surprised, seeing, surprised right. Seeing if seeing I went mean back to <laughs> <laughs> Um,
1: Where are your buyers
2: coming from? You know, that's a question I get a lot. And being here in Newport, we're pretty strategically situated between New York and Boston. So a bulk of our buyers come from I I call it the tri-state market, which would be Connecticut, Connecticut, New Jersey, New York. You know, when I say Connecticut, kind of the Fairfield, New Canaan, uh, that market and then into the Manhattan market, but we even get a fair amount of Northern New Jersey. And so that, that tri-state area is busy for us, as well as the Boston market. Get a lot of, a lot of people who are just coming into town because Boston's a, a quick hour, an hour and 10 hour and 20 minutes, depending on traffic, very easy to get to uh, Boston back and forth as well. as You know, New York's a little further of a drive It's probably three, three and a half hours with, with no traffic, but the, Newport is very easy to get to for many of those people in, in those two areas. Any people and besides coming, that?
1: I'm sorry. Any people that? coming from uh, California?
2: Yes, I, I'm seeing, especially in the higher end, the luxury market. I'm seeing a, <laughs> I hesitate to call it an exodus of the West Coast, <laughs> but a uh, several of the higher net worth individuals we've been dealing with over the last several years um, have been looking east and looking to to Newport and, and the East Coast and Rhode Island and other places here, whether it's Massachusetts and Cape Cod or not. But I've heard the same thing from several of them, is that they were you know that they're sick and tired of the of the fires <laughs> sick and tired of the politics and the taxes those three things the same three things came out of two or three uh buyers that I was working with and they they weren't necessarily looking at Newport but they were looking at the east coast as an option and a few of them bought pretty substantial properties here That's, so and, and they didn't already- fully Fire, they were sick of the wildfires and the taxes and the politics. So. Okay, sounds good. Sounds... <laughs> so, uh, how's your inventory, by the way? Uh, inventory is low. So, if, if you know of anyone who wants to sell your house, have them call me, John. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> for you, inventory is low across the board and I think across the country from what I'm hearing from my colleagues. But it's an interesting dynamic because I, I will say to my agents here that you know, they're all complaining about low inventory, but I'm like, you know what, it's low inventory right now because things are selling so quickly. Things are selling in six to nine days instead of six to nine months. So would you rather have lots of listings that don't sell for six to nine months or would you rather have one listing and it sells right away? So it's it's an interesting argument or debate about the, we certainly could use more, that's for sure.
1: Now, uh, since inventory is low, do you
2: have any bidding wars? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Bidding wars and multiple offer, multiple offer situations, and things going over the asking price. That it, it, it's, you know, it it it's probably been like that for two two and a half years now, and and it's really because the low inventory uh, compared with the high demand. I mean, there's more buyers out there than we have places on the market. So you have six or seven or eight buyers looking at the same house the first weekend it comes on the market. And you end up with multiple offers and you usually have to call for a deadline. You say, okay, listen, Wednesday at five o'clock, all offers have to be in and the seller will make a decision. And, wow. and many times that winning offer comes in over the asking price. So it's a seller's market. It's a strong seller's market right now. One that I haven't seen the likes of in my 30, 34 years of selling real estate.
1: So if someone uh, had some questions or tried to reach you, how could they do that? Do that?
2: Oh, I'm, I'm very easily uh, <laughs> available and accessible. I, I'll even give you my cell phone number. I, I'm, uh, my cell phone is 401. That's a Rhode Island area code. But 862-6706. And I'm right here in downtown Newport at, at Gustav White Sotheby's International Realty. I'm, I'm happy to help whoever has any questions about the market here.
1: Paul Lays of Gustav White, it was a pleasure having you on. This is John Christopher for real life broadcasting from the vibrant village of Southampton, New York, on the only NPR station on Long Island, WLIW 88.3 FM. Please stay where you are since we'll be right back with my next guest, Hallie Thatcher. Welcome back to Real Life, and this is your host, John Christopher, and today I have with me the founder of Houseport, Hallie Thatcher. Hi, Hallie. How are you today?
3: I'm fine. How are you?
1: Great. Wonderful. Before we talk about Houseport, let's talk about you, Hallie. Where did you grow up?
3: I was born in New York City, and I grew up after the age of three in San Francisco, so that's oh, so
1: that's interesting. So how did you, And uh, are you based in New York now or where are you yes, based?
3: Yes, I am based in New York. The company headquarters are in New York. I came back to New York after taking a detour in L.A. Um, so now it's been almost 40 years.
1: Oh, excellent. Um, you're an artist. So uh, one of the things, did at what age did you know that you had talent?
3: You know, that's a good question because... I was always doing things, you know, I was always engaged in, you know, doing things, whether growing up, but I wasn't really connected to the talent of it. But as I got more, as I developed and sort of narrowed down my artistic talent, that's when I, but it took a while because I was sort of unsure of myself exactly where I wanted to, how I wanted to express myself. So I was doing a lot of experimenting Oh, and uh, in yourself. a lot of different areas. I was doing fashion, you know, so.
1: Okay. Yeah. Okay. So um, Homeport, uh, I'm sorry, Houseport is such a unique concept. How did you come up with the idea for it? And what is it?
3: Well, so uh I moved to New York, and we all love New York, but after a while, we all kind of start hating the winter, <laughs> cold, you know so I had and I had lived in l a and a lot of uh, my friends we would always go to Palm Springs to the desert, and the weather was really great, and so I felt like, well, maybe I will go to the desert. Then spend time working during the, when the winter in New York just gets to be unbearable. Right. So that's kind of what I did, and I bought these very small um, uh, uh, cement brick houses up near Joshua Tree. I actually bought them sight unseen, to be really honest with you. And so when I went out to see what I had bought, they were so cheap that I, you know, they were practically free. I mean, that's when Joshua Tree, nobody went there. Now it's very popular. But anyway, so I went out there and I saw these small houses that I had bought and I just went, oh, I need more space. So I thought about putting a shed over the house to create more Space and then I would put pavers and things to expand the for working to expand my environment. And so I remembered I also love those. Uh, just a kiss came to me when I was growing up in California. You see a lot of those uh, sheds in, on, in the ranches going in Sonoma and Petaluma, and where I we had a house and where they would store their tractors and hay and i just love that spatial effect i said well why won't why don't i just put one of the because i was also looking for something that wasn't going to cost a lot of money so okay. the, so that's another uh, reason i and uh, so it was kind of a just typical of me it was just an idea that came to me and then i just followed the thread and that's how it happened
1: wow that's a uh, that's good um you have a mission all right uh, houseport has a mission
3: yeah, it definitely has a mission, but that wasn't and when I was first doing it, it was kind of a personal solution for my, uh, you know, art to, as a workspace. But then when I actually uh, we constructed it and I was living up there, I realized because we had space between the two roofs, the existing roof and this shed that I had um, right. installed. So I the air uh, it's dry out in california so the air circulation would naturally between the we put um, you know uh, patio doors in so it would be circulating and uh this shed roof was protecting the house underneath that i was living in but it was also and with the air circulating it was cooling the environment so you could be walking outside uh away from the shed, and it'd be 110 degrees, but if you walked under the shed, it would come down to something, you know, that you could live with, and then going into the house, it became even cooler, so that's when I thought, oh, this is really amazing that you can actually... Yeah control your environment your climate and everything so and then I got interested in making it a, a, a housing solution and I was always attracted to prefab you know flat pack I love the idea of getting something and it kind of you build it just builds you build it up so I I kind of those two ideas I merged them together and that's how I made houseport oh. with the cubes and then the ro- uh, roof above it These uh,
1: these cubes, or or, do they come in panels?
3: Yeah, they come in panels. They're called uh, SIPS. They're structurally insulated panels, and uh, you know they're being used more and more. And they were used for in commercial. Applications, but now people house it because it's such an another energy efficient way of, of building your house, because what happens with a regular stick build and even just putting um, insulation and in, you have a, a lot of air pockets and so the airs get getting into your house. So you you can't control the efficiency, but the panels they have, they have rigid foam. So there's no air pockets Uh, and that really, so it keeps it cool in the summer and then also insulates in the winter. So all these elements were kind of working together, the roof and the panels. And and then of course, everything's electric, everything's uh, energy efficient.
1: So do you uh, incorporate air conditioning or is that not necessary? Well,
3: yeah, that we did. Well, I didn't, I didn't have to in California because it actually works so well as kind of an analog solution. Um, but, uh, we, we, you know, it turned into kind of a business. So I, um, decided uh, because California was getting quite expensive because another one of our, my goals was to make it affordable because I being like everybody else, you, you're a first time buyer, home buyer. And I was trying to offer. So so I went to Texas and that's when we did start using, um, we use a split system, you know, the, the units uh, that have zones and it's not a central air it's their condensers and then they have these units and which is also efficient because you could you don't have to you know these air central air the entire house has to be cooled right. you know and you might not even be in one of the rooms right. or but downstairs
1: you might have to just one room or yeah room.
3: right and and so uh so I really like those. Uh, and uh, you see, Texas had one problem that that California doesn't have, which you do need air conditioning, uh, is um, the humidity. Uh-huh. The humidity is very... Yeah. I mean, uh, a lot of people like uh, air conditioning, but it's very, uh, you know, it's very moderate in the house. Right. And I use uh, ceiling fans most of the time. So the mm-hmm. house in Long Island, I, I just use the ceiling fans
1: most right. of the time. Speaking of Long Island, uh, you just recently completed a project in in the North Fork. Can you tell us about that? Right. And also. Right. Uh, any yeah, that's
3: challenge? where I am right now. Yeah. Were
1: there, what? were there any challenges on the project in the North Fork?
3: You know, the North Fork build was pretty easy. I've had some trouble uh, the last build because of COVID in Texas, but um, it was relatively easy. Uh, I, I, I have to say it was one of the easier builds. I mean, we had the normal problems of, you know, the I thought the, the lot was flat. We had to bring in a lot of fill. But uh, relatively speaking, the subs were pretty good. I, I just, yeah, it wasn't a hard build.
1: Oh. Now, what's the, the uh, completion time? In other words, uh, if somebody contacts you and they say, okay, Haley, I want to do this, when do you expect uh, the house or, uh, to be completed? Does it take?
3: Well, it, we, we're on a timeline of which I'm really, I've learned fast that budget are year two. Best friends when you're doing a build. And so we did get our we did used to come in. um, We still plan to come in on budget. uh, And we would our build time was around 12 weeks. This is uh, the model, which is called the ranch, which is two cubes and the roof over it. So we have a bungalow, which is one cube. Then we have the ranch that's two cube. And then the estate is three cubes. So basically the most popular one is the two cube. And that is a 12 week build from the time you're doing the dirt work, getting the site ready to move in. As long as you can coordinate, you're just coordinating everything. So it's, right. you know, going smoothly. Well, that seems but quicker this, than built. Uh, stick
1: build. I mean, stick build. Yeah. yeah. It's more. Yeah. It's much. Quicker. Period.
3: Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Um, you have to be really organized. I must, you know, I'm just pointing that out. You, you know,
1: you right. Know. One of the things I was thinking when you mentioned about uh, that one, most people go for the two cubes, you have different uh, types of homes, uh, ranging from estate to mini. And right. The the thing that blew me away is the pricing. Like can you give us a little bit about each one?
3: Well, that the price on the website. Isn't, uh, is for the components, it's not the entire build. So we, we provide the components and then the a client or the buyer then has to hire a contractor because it is built on site. You know, the there's modular, which people, they kind of do get confused. The modular uh, home, prefab home is done in a factory. So it comes completed and then they just plop the unit on to your foundation right. in our case you have to the panels come on a truck and that they have to it has to be built up like a stick build but so the client really is involved in you know doing all the finishing they have to hire the, the crew I mean we could consult and we can help them but uh, it, it's still kind of affordable we tell the cus the, the client that they look at the price on the website and if you just double that, that's pretty much going to be the price of your house. Well, that's, you yeah. know, so yeah. meaning, if it's, you know, I think the branch, I don't know some 120 or something. So if you double well, no, that, that's but not true. Still, I mean, the, the pricing seems
1: really yeah. affordable for especially
3: yeah, it's yeah. The house in the the house in Texas, which is so great and it's so solid and so efficient, and it's a house that makes you money in the sense that it puts money back in the bank. I mean, my house this in Long Island here, which is a, a big space because of my studio. I my um, utility bills are like fourteen dollars a month.
1: <laughs> that's pretty good. You know,
3: I mean this can be solar, down, to net, uh, down to a down to net. There. Yeah, we put solar. You have to have solar. But oh, the, the 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 point is the house. The house is really geared for a house in the future because you really want to bring these utility bills are ridiculous. And also, it's um, you're not putting any emissions in the air. I mean, it's a clean house. It's a low impact house. It's energy efficient. I mean, I can't. I can't like. Give it enough praise, but the best part is the utility bills because people are paying like two hundred and four hundred dollars a month, and I'm paying fourteen dollars. So yeah, that's, I don't. Know. That's and, and so, so what I'm saying is, you put you were you're putting the house is helping you put money back in the bank. Is what I'm right. trying
1: to say. Well, to. That is that's really great, and you're you're also helping uh, the environment because you're not putting a strain.
3: Yeah, right. uh, I mean, we're not contributing to carbon right. or anything yeah. uh, you know, okay. we have an outdoor, yeah, a gas like
1: grill. Yeah, it's yeah. great. I just wanted to, uh, we have to wrap this up. So uh, how can somebody, if they want to learn more about Houseport, Haley, how can they uh, reach you?
3: On our website. Uh, the contact info at ehouseport.com and somebody, one of the team, get sometimes me or whoever uh, gets back to them based on. Did you say
1: E or I? I'm sorry.
3: No, E. E, e is an eco. Ehouseport. So it's ehouseport.com and it's info at ehouseport. It's a, It's on the website, which is Fantastic. ehouseport.com.
1: It's been a delight having you on the program, Haley thatcher of uh, houseport this is john christopher for real life broadcasting in the fabulous village of southampton new york on the only npr station on long island wliw 88.3 thank you so much for listening and be sure to have an awesome
0: journey you have been listening to real life The program that talks about the people, the places, and the things that are the pulse and heartbeat of real estate in the Hamptons and beyond with host John Christopher, who also created the music for Real Life. WLIW-FM's Delaney Hafner and Kyle Lynch provide production support. Thank you for joining us for Real Life right here on listener-supported 88.3 WLIW-FM Long Island's only NPR station, which you can also find on your favorite streaming apps and at WLIW.org radio.